Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is April 23rd, 2019. Wow. So yesterday, it was not widely reported that we're literally on the brink of war. Uh, The petrodollar is talk of the world and no one wants to talk about it. Um, There's a lot happening today and there are a few things that I'd like to uh, talk about that mainstream media isn't talking about but we before we get into that i want to um first of all welcome you to the tory says show thanks for tuning in remember you can always follow me on gab and twitter and twitter at tory underscore says i'm fresh out of facebook jail so i'll be back on the red state talk radio group and that is a group that you can join uh, so that way you can have access to news, discussions, etc. Now, I'd like to take a look at our president's Twitter feed just to set the tone. Okay. So the tone of what is happening today, and I'll tell you what happened yesterday in our court systems and how that's going. So we all know he's going to Wisconsin. Uh, so he tweeted out first tweet of the morning was about Paul Krugman, uh, you know, for the New York times, he's supposedly such a genius, but he tweeted Paul Krugman, the fake news, New York times has lost all credibility as has the times itself with his false and highly inaccurate writings of me. He is obsessed with hatred just as others are obsessed with how stupid he is. He said, market crash only record highs. Continuing, he said, I wonder if the New York Times will apologize to me a second time as they did after the 2016 election. But this one will have to be a far bigger and better apology. On this one, they will have to get down on their knees and beg for forgiveness. They are truly the enemy of the people. Whoa. So this isn't about them just writing inaccurate things. This isn't about them just viciously harassing the president. This is something that many of you don't know about. This is something that's brewing in the background. You have to remember their door, revolving door for who? Where did they get their leaks? Who did they meet with? How did they meet with them? Remember, we forget. They congest our senses with so much information that we remove information to make room for the garbage that they give us. We'll revisit that later on uh, in the next hour. He says that he's going to Green Bay, Wisconsin, 
for a really big rally on on Saturday evening. Big crowd expected, much to talk about, make America great again. He then tweeted, the radical left Democrats, together with their leaders in the fake news media, have gone totally insane. They are insane. I guess that means that the Republican agenda is working. Stay tuned for more. He continues, in the good old days, in the, in the old days, which it was the good old days, if you were president and you had a good economy, you were basically immune to criticism. Remember, it's the economy, stupid. Today I have, as president, perhaps the greatest economy in history, and to the mainstream media it means nothing. But it will. It will because the markets globally will collapse and we will be the only ones surviving that. Obviously, along with Russia, that um, can kind of work within themselves only China as well. This is why they're reinforced. So there will be very few nations on this planet that will survive if the fiat currency is killed. So he says, sorry to say, but Fox and friends is far is by far the best morning political shows on television. It rightfully has by far the highest ratings, not even close Morning Psycho Joe, who helped get me elected in 2016 by having me on free all the time, has nosedive to anger. Remember, I talked about Mika and Joe, and there was a reason that I brought them up. And here it is, the president talking about them, too. He has nosedive, too angry, dumb, and sick. A really bad show with low ratings. And will only get worse. CNN has proven and uh, long-term ratings and beyond disaster. In fact, it even rewarded Chris Cuomo with a now unsuccessful primetime slot despite his massive failure in the morning only on CNN. I also want to make mention something that many people don't see. CNN is hiring producers like crazy. They don't have staff. Brian Stetler, go to his Twitter feed and you'll see that he's pinned a job for his show. (laughs) No one wants to work. You know, I'm sorry, but Mark Dice has done such a great job in dubbing Brian Stetler's videos with an annoying almost Mickey Mousey-ish voice that every time he speaks, that's the only voice I hear. He's, uh, he's horrible. And he's looking for someone as of April 3rd. He said, Harley Davidson has struggled with tariffs with the EU currently paying 31%. They had to move production overseas to try to offset some of that tariff and they've been hit, which will rise to 66% in June of 2021. So unfair to the U.S. We will reciprocate. So Harley-Davidson is actually a very popular brand. I know we have our Italian makers and motorbikes. And because of the weather, specifically along the southern portion of Europe, motorbikes are actually the chosen mean of commute. Uh, Scooters, uh, you know, Peugeot and, and Yamaha pretty much dominate those areas but anyway 
it is really wrong because if they're creating the bikes here in the U.S., just shipping them over there, they have to charge the person the shipping fee, and then they have to actually pay a tariff of 31%. That costs a lot of money in the end to buy it, so not a lot of people buy them. They buy knockoffs, knockoffs, meaning bikes from other manufacturers within Europe. And so it takes away the competition by doing so. So yeah, like many companies, they move their production outside of the United States because of deadly uh, and very uh, burdening regulations within the United States for production, but also to lower costs. So Maria Bartomo said that the best thing ever happened to Twitter is Donald Trump. It's true, he says, but they don't treat me well as a Republican. Very discriminatory, hard for people to sign on, constantly taking people off list. Big complaints from many people, different names, over 100 million, but should be much higher. If Twitter wasn't playing their political games, no wonder Congress has to get involved, and they should. Maybe more and fairer companies to get out the word. And again, he said the wall is being built, keep America great, and then the interview with Jared. So that is what our president had to tell us today. So he pointed out the New York Times, which is going to be coming into play soon. He pointed out Joe and Mika of Morning Joe, and he pointed out how the fake news is failing. But what he didn't tell you is all the other things that are brewing in the background. I thought I could tell you guys a story. I think I wrote about it uh, last summer on April. In April of 2018, a couple was arrested in Texas. And I think I talked about this before on my show. Uh, Mohammed and Denise Costur uh, Denise and Mohammed Tour. Now, the, uh, Mohammed Tour is the son right? He is the son of uh, the old dictator of Guinea. Uh, it's an African nation, of course. Uh, they are, they were Portuguese Guinea, you can call it. It's officially called the Republic of Guinea, right? Um, they were French and they have Portuguese influence. Um, they're a sovereign state. And here's the deal. So, they just got their independence, okay? They literally just got their independence a couple of decades ago. And so Mohamed Touré um, moved, uh, sought refuge uh, at the United States and was awarded refugee status. Oh, gosh, I've been sneezing all day. My apologies. So uh, they were offered refugee status, both Mohammed and his wife. Okay? And they moved to Texas. Mohammed is 58. Denise Costu is 58 as well. They were both provided, um, you know, as just like Ilhan Omar, refugee status, and then were legally, uh, legally residing within the United States. Now, why am I bringing them up? Yesterday, they were each sentenced seven years of prison for forced labor and related offenses. Now, why is this important? So I, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a history lesson because, you know, a lot of people uh, don't know global politics. We don't care about global history. Uh, we have the capacity for 
XYZ and we omit um, important information, right? So um, when the major West African empires fell, now we're talking, you know, 17, 1800s, right? Um, there were a lot of kingdoms in what we call Guinea now. Uh, the, there were, um, as we know, there's many Muslims, the Shia, the Sunni, and the Fulani. And those um, Muslims actually traveled to central Guinea, and they created the Islamic State. And that was between um, 1730 and like like 1900, like late 1800s to the max 1900. And they had their own constitution, and they had you know, different people that were ruling at the time. So uh, there was an empire called the Wasulu Empire. Uh, that was actually just a 20-year-old empire, and it was led by a guy named Samori Toure. Now, he was um, in the um, upper part of Guinea and uh, southwestern Mali, right? Anyway, um, that empire actually moved toward the Ivory Coast. Anyway, slave trade came uh, down there um, to Guinea, and they were like literally giving their people away to European traders uh, in the 1700s. They were like handing them over. They were actually exported. Like their main export in Guinea was giving their people away. And so they had um, the French come in kind of in like the mid-1800s and with um, the British Sierra Leone that came in. And then we saw the Portuguese uh, put up a colony in Guinea. And then, you know, we had Liberia, you know, where most of the imports that we have in our nation from these refugee programs are for some, from Somalia and Liberia. Remember this because this is important. So anyway, France um, actually stepped it up, um, you know, in the late 1800s when this empire was like being eradicated in like 1899, I guess. And in the early 1900s with um, they were like negotiating like their borders and, uh, you know, what they have um, with the British um, for the Sierra Leone. And the Portuguese, like I said, had their own colony. Well, in 1958, there was a French Fourth Republic, and that collapsed um, because they were politically unstable, they were failing, etc. Well, you remember that regime by Touré back, we're talking like 1700s, right? 1800s. Well, he's back. And so the colonies from the former Guinea, uh, you know, where were, where they were under the regime of the French and, um, at the time, I think it was, um, uh, Charles de Gaulle that was a president of France. Uh, they kind of started to look under the guise of Ahmed Secouture, and that was considered the Democratic Party of Guinea. R- listen to the words, Democratic Party of Guinea. And he actually won um, most of the seats in their house in uh, local elections. And supposedly he was the person um, releasing all these people, like, you know, making it a democratic community, not being under French uh, regime. So the French actually withdrew. uh, We're talking like 1958-ish, 1958, 1957. So uh, Guinea 
demanded that they are now an independent and sovereign republic. And the president of that country was uh, Sarko Touré. So Touré uh, ruled. And, you know, uh, when France withdrew, uh, they had to um, stop receiving French money. So remember how socialism works and subjects, right? The subjects get something called welfare. They get money from the governments that are ruling them. Well, at the time, France was giving Guinea a lot of money because they were impoverished. They had no money. They were just exporting slaves. The slave trade had stopped for, you know, obviously the Americans long before that in the mid-1800s. But the Europeans and the Chinese continued to buy slaves, which stopped this is why they had this democratic republic under Touré because they no longer wanted to export their own citizens for gain of money. Anyway, so France was France was giving them money. They had French aid and that stopped. So that put a really big strain on Guinea. And so uh, Guinea decided to work with nations that were not part of the Western um, civilization because they were being taken advantage of. Like the Portuguese or the French would be like, yeah, you have no more money, so maybe you want to start selling your own people again for cheap labor. Um, so Touré started to align himself with the Soviet Union. He saw that there was no way to be independent, which is true. Because if it wasn't in the form of French aid where the French were owning them, uh, it was in the form of IMF loans or European loans, you know, because the European um, commerce agreement was being signed at the time. So Guinea didn't want to kind of play ball with them. They were like, no, we want to be independent. Like to Ray, like I've said before. Every single dictator, every single corrupt clown we have in office anywhere on the planet never starts, right, with the intent to cause harm to people. I don't believe it. There is no way that someone says, well, I'm going to get in because I'm just going to kill people and enslave them. I guess if they're children of those that have done it before, maybe. But this guy was legit. Ray wanted to be independent. He didn't want to have to suck on the teat of France and Portugal. He wanted his own people to be productive. He wanted to boost their economy. But here's the thing. No one was trading with them. No one was trading them. So he observed the Soviet Union that wasn't trading either. And so he decided to do what the Soviet Union did and create socialist policies, but not socialist policies imposed from globalists, but himself. So quickly, he changed his direction. And, you know, so he, you know, he started to focus inwards on his country. Now, obviously, doing what the Soviet Union was doing wasn't working. So he kind of took more of the Chinese model of socialism where, you know, the Chinese, instead of forcing you into it, it's, it's brought into you through culture, right? You're raised with culture, honor your elderly, honor that you're Chinese. Chinese are the best. Everybody else is a dirty race. You know, they, they, these are in inside your bones and your flesh and your blood because the Chinese have been around for a thousand years and we're better than everyone. So Ray started to do that. He started to align himself with more of the Chinese-type socialism. Um, but nevertheless, he was receiving income from capitalists. 
And uh, the most of those capitalists were where, from where? The United States of America. Now, I want to remind you to go look at my Peter Strzok article at Big League Politics. This is why this is important. And you'll understand why Touré, Mohamed Touré, was arrested and what's coming next. So Peter Strzok's dad actually went into Africa. And I don't want to mention the country because then we're going to start, you know, getting into it. It's in the article. I don't want to digress, but he went in there and he changed a country's name. Like they changed regimes. So here we have the United States of America funding Toure. They were, they were pretty much the United States lapdog. They weren't providing cheap labor export, but they were conducting cheap labor within uh, Guinea, which was considered something like an industrial revolution. In other words, they were still just slaves, though, but on their own turf. This is how the Democrats work. Okay. So in around 1960, uh, Touré himself, who was leading the country at the time, said the only political party ever in our country to be acknowledged is, you know, the um, Democratic Party of New in, of Guinea, which is uh, PDG, Party of Guinea, right? Uh, par- Democratic Party of Guinea. So for the next 24 years, it was the only government. He was always reelected unopposed for four um, seven-year terms as president. Seven years. So each term is seven years. It's 28 years he was reelected. Every five years, um, you know, people are, I think since every four or five years, um, people that are voting in the elections get a list of all the PDG candidates. So there's no other party. So it's not like Democrat, Republican or Green Party or Libertarian. It's just one party, no other party. So they would get a list of all these names of people that were under the only party of the country because that's what he declared and, um, you know, who is part of the nation, their national assembly. And they would um, know who they'd be voting for. Well, they were they were asking to create like a um, African socialism type thing and a, a pan-Africanism uh, push outside of their borders. So Toure became like really polarized. And, you know, he started to focus uh, very much so on the socialist aspect of, you know, keeping his people in check. So uh, he was imprisoning thousands of people and um, he was if the press was asking questions, um, he was like arresting them left and right, or he would just ignore them and issue papers. So it was, it was a pretty crazy time. So by the seventies, the Portuguese, um, had come back to Portuguese Guinea and there were many raids and, um, attacks, uh, that were happening on both ends from the Portuguese side and to Ray. So in 1977, there was something called the market woman's revolt and they were like huge anti-government riots about women that were working within the Medina market. Remember how I told you that the Democrats like their slaves, right? So this is where the women were being abused and the children were being abused, working, 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 working. So in 1984, um, he died. His son, Mohamed Touré, left as a refugee because they were uh, going to get killed and slaughtered. So his son, Mohamed, left. 
and he was replaced by um, another prime minister at the time. And so remember, they like chased him down because the father was literally a dictator, right? So they wanted to kill him. So he was married off uh, to some other woman, uh, same age. Uh, there was an arranged marriage, and then they sent them off to the United States of refugees. So that's the story of Guinea, and it's important that you know the story of Guinea because no one's going to tell you the story of Guinea. So these people, these two people, as refugees, right, ended up living in South Lake, Texas. Okay? And so here's the thing. They came in. They're refugees. And you would assume in your mind that a refugee comes with, like, a stick with a, you know, tied bag on it with, like, maybe some underwear and some pictures. No. These people came in and off the bat bought a $600,000 home at the time. Okay? And they were very wealthy. Very wealthy. And so... Um, after the break, I'm going to tell you what they did, uh, you know, how they were refugees and they came to the United States and immediately in the, for the eighties, a $600,000 home is the equivalent of a $2.53 million home right here. So, um, they were incredibly wealthy, but they didn't work. So we'll talk about that um, in more detail because now that they were sentenced, uh, if you go to the justice.gov site, you'll see that there is one statement that needs to be picked apart, which is they may lose their U.S. immigration status and be removed to Guinea pursuant to law. Now, that is a big deal. So they were just sentenced. They'll strip them of their refugee status that they've had for over 20, 30 years and ship them back. I'll see you all in a few. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switch to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it. But we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855 700 2978 855 700 2978 855 700 2978 that's 855 700 2978 guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam sounds great right even better your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease 
If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. And so in the first half hour, I was explaining to you the history of Guinea. Because a lot of people don't know um, relative history that's uh, relevant to the climate that we have globally right now. So like I said, um, Sekutore died uh, during these uh, wars, this unrest. And the Prime Minister uh, Bevo uh, Bevo. Xi was then instated as interim president. And then, you know, we got Colonel uh, Conte uh, that seized their power uh, without shedding any blood as to before. So it was a coup. Conte came into power through a coup. Okay, a coup of the interim guy. So he, uh, Conte denounced everything the previous regime of Touré did. Um, he released 200, uh, over 200 people, uh, that were political prisoners. And he asked people that had fled Guinea, you know, that were being chased down by Touré that were part of the Portuguese colonies, um, to come back. And we're talking, this is stuff that happened in the eighties and nineties. Okay. This isn't like the 1700s, 1800s. You guys have to realize that all this stuff was playing out when you were a kid sucking your thumb or watching the Goonies. All this stuff was happening. So in 92, um, uh, Conte, you know, he, he actually remained in power up until Obama was taking office. He died just before Obama took office anyway. And so he kind of organized and, um, put Guinea, um, onto the development stages of Western Africa, right? He closed down the borders with Liberia and Sierra Leone and, and, You know, that happened in 2000 where he realized that the infiltration of migrants coming in from Liberia that was heavily, um, you know, under unrest and Sierra Leone was collapsing his own economy that it took him, you know, five years to kind of put it 
in a way of, you know, the right way. Uh, the, it was, it was a hot mess. Okay. Let's just say it was a really big hot mess. The Toure family was being chased down and this is, this is recent stuff. Okay. This isn't something new. Remember, where did we get Ebola from? Do you guys know where we got Ebola from? Out of nowhere, where did we get Ebola from in 2014 where everyone was freaking out? You, you guessed it. It was Guinea. It was Guinea after, you know, their new person uh, that Obama helped install was in. Are you getting it now? I need people to pay attention. In 2014, the Ebola education team that was there to educate people about Ebola killed them. They slaughtered all members of the Ebola education team. Do you know why? Because the people in Guinea, and that specific town name was called Womi, rhymes with Comey, um, they said that it was their own people spreading the virus, that they were experimenting on the people of Guinea, according to the new prime minister that was installed, that was working with Obama. This is how it happened. They were testing. This is what the people were saying. They were testing biological warfare. This is boots on the ground people, right? Because the mainstream media is not going to tell you this. You know, when you Google it, it's not going to tell you this. This is on the ground stuff. I remember I was uh, at the College of of Medicine when it was being discussed in um, 2012. You know, we knew about the the World Health Organization getting into it in 2014 when they determined where it came from. But we all have to remember that these people, and I saw it on the news in 2011 and 2012, local news, because I don't watch mainstream media, never did, after... um, what I saw with Bill Clinton when I was a kid, um, how they lied to the public. Like I saw him getting tomatoes thrown at him and the news didn't say, you know, the fence was run down by trucks and tomatoes and people were throwing at him. They just said, Oh, he changed his mind and he went somewhere else. So that's when I realized that news wasn't real. But anyway, so this is important that you understand this. So the Tourés were found to have slaves in their house, literally. They had forced labor. They had um, a girl uh, that they brought in as a slave. Let me give you the details. So they were arrested in 2018, okay? And they were charged with forced labor, harboring an alien, and two counts of conspiracy. Now, um, to Mohamed Touré, the son of Sekou Touré, was also charged with making false statements to federal agents, saying that he was trying to adopt the girl. He was, like, totally lying, okay? So he was actually the son of Ahmed Sekou, like I said, uh, the, um, the guy that wanted to take socialism in for Guinea. Uh, but you'll see that the mainstream media says that, the, you know, he he did spearhead the 
revolution to be free from French colonial rule. That's true. And, but they're saying that he was the first president to be elected in the first free election, which is true. But then he was a dictator up until 1984. And, you know, obviously the mainstream media leaves out from 1958 to 1984. What happened? Nothing. Anyway, so his wife, um, Denise and Mohammed, both of them were given asylum in the U S, um, in the year 2000 from 19, uh, in the year 2000, mind you, they were in Kenya. This is where they had fled to, uh, you know, under Conte coming up. And then there was more civil unrest because then they started doing things to the population, which then turned out to be biological warfare testing. And this is where we got Ebola 10 years after that. But anyway, they settled just outside of Fort Worth and they bought a really, really good home. And here's the thing. They didn't work. They were getting money from overseas. Like annually, I think they were getting something like $200,000, uh, into their bank account. And so, um, they were all about supporting like the pan African, um, museums, um, activities in Dallas that has to do with, um, you know, anything Africanism, whatever. But the girl that they had taken was like from, Nowhere. She was a child that lived in a hut somewhere in some village. And she started working for the Tourés when they were out in Africa. And then in 2000, um, you know, she, she worked on the like plantations they had or the companies in manufacturing is child labor. Okay. Let's just say it that, that way. Anyway, they put her on a flight to the United States, uh, right after they came to the U S and they were granted asylum and she spoke no English. Um, and the paper she had with her said that she was five years old. So she was a minor flying on her own at five. And then when she arrived in Texas, um, she began working at the Therese home. She was literally their slave. She would cook for them, clean for them, take care of their children, their children, their children, Today, in 2018, are adults. Those children that are adults now were being taken care of by this little girl uh, that came on before they had their children. Their children, the Toure children, are adults going to college right now. They abused her physically and emotionally. You think the sons didn't rape her? You think the dad didn't rape her? They would slap her, beat her with belts, electric cords. Uh, this was all reported in the, um, in the indictment. And apparently neighbors that used to live close to the Toure's helped her escape. You know, when she got older, uh, she fled and went to the YMCA and that's where, um, the police came and that started the investigation and that's how they were arrested. And here's the thing. They didn't start it right away. The Toure's didn't even make a statement that she's missing. She had no papers, no identification, no passport, no nothing. And she was their house slave. She did everything they wanted. She raised their kids. 
as well. Being a child, she raised their kids. So she went missing, and apparently he wanted to adopt her. Really? Now that she's what? She was five in 2000. That means in 2018, she was how old? 23. So you were going to adopt her when? When she was like 40, 50? Come on, man. So she's a 23-year-old woman, according to the paperwork, because she could have been younger than five, or she could have been older than five. They take her into protective custody of the police. They file these complaints, and the Toure's didn't even announce that she was missing. And when they were questioned, they didn't say anything. So they quickly got a lawyer, and the lawyer was like, no, we didn't enslave her. Uh, She's a distant relative. And, you know, the father of that child had sent her to Guinea to be raised by these people. That's weird. If she was raised by those people, she'd be going to school. That's weird. If she was raised by the people, she wouldn't be your house slave. That's funny. You're a Toure. You don't live in a hut. So she was um doing everything she was the housekeeper and even the neighbors would see that and so they're saying oh but she had food clothing spending money and her own house to live in we got gifts for her seriously guys this is what they were saying and the thing is Here's 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 the thing. These people were actually sentenced only seven years for forced labor trafficking, right? And a bunch of other things. Now, what's going to happen is they're going to hand them over to Guinea. Considering that Guinea now is under rule that is favorable to the Touré regime, uh, the founder of the PDG, nothing's going to happen to them. Literally, nothing's going to happen to them because right now Guinea and the rest of these West African states are in a hot, are, are a hot mess. But think of it. Everyone, when they think slavery, they think of the movies where they were whipping, you know, Africans on plantations. It wasn't always that the case, right? It wasn't. Yeah, they'd whip them if they weren't moving hard enough. But when you have human beings working, you can't help but be um, attached to them if you can't detach yourself. So the whippings, the hangings, the not feeding them is because they look different than you so you can dehumanize them, right? That's slavery. Slavery is that. But those that are even dehumanized, because remember, those that sit in Congress now, those that are in Senate now, those that were in power, like Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bush, all of them, all of them, they look at you just the way they used to look at slaves that they whipped. Slavery means that you work for someone else. That doesn't mean you don't get fed. You get fed. That doesn't mean you won't have a roof over your head. You'll have a roof over your head, but it may have holes. You may be fed, but it may just be rice all day, every day, or maybe some stale bread, but you'll be fed. If you get sick, they'll fix you because you're a machine. You fix machines, don't you? The combines in your field, don't you fix them when they break? They'll fix you. They'll have you populate so that way they have more slaves too. Does that remind you of anything? Because we are slaves. We do not work for ourselves. We have the impression we do. The minute a child is born, they have almost a $100,000 debt tag on their head. 
That child coming into the United States will be carrying that debt tag on their head until they die. And they will be working not only to pay off that debt, but to pay off the debt that they incur. And as they work and grow and contribute to society, because they contribute to society, they will be fed, they will be clothed, they will be housed, and they will receive medical attention. If they're really, really poor, they'll get it off the state. You know, uh, do you know that the majority of the doctors that take Medicaid are the worst doctors? Do you know that the majority of the doctors in states where nobody wants to live, I don't know, like North Dakota, are the ones that couldn't get matched at good residencies or were not offered any jobs? Yes, indeed, this happens. Why? Because the majority of those persons that take Medicaid cannot negotiate better contracts with better insurances because they're not good doctors. So you pay what you get for, right? And this is where it comes down to slavery. The minute you have all these people in the United States dependent on the government for healthcare, healthcare, the only thing you can't really buy. Once you get cancer, I don't care how much money you have, you're dead. You get AIDS, no matter how much money you have, you're going to die, except for Magic Johnson, which is super curious. But anyway, there are certain things you can't fix. Your liver fails. Okay, maybe you could buy another one, but that's going to fail at some point too. This is how it goes. Cycle. Your health is the most expensive and most important thing you have. And yet people want to forfeit it to the government who is their master. Because for some reason, statism has become an epidemic. These people here, the two rays are on a micro scale. What the government is to us. They say, but I give them gifts. I gave her clothes. I gave her some spending money. I gave her a roof over her head. She ate. This is what the government tells you. Have you ever been in the position where you need to go and apply for government benefits because you're in hardship? I have. I have. Years ago when my husband lost his job and I was in medical school and I had two kids, how am I going to bring income in? What do I do? Do you know how they make you? I'm like, $200 is not enough to buy anything. Well, that's what you get. Make use of it. It's like, oh my God. It's like... They want impoverished people to not have nourishment. They want them to not have money. So if they can't get a job or they're hurt, what are they going to do? They're going to break the law. How many women have you seen stealing baby formula and diapers? They're not going there to steal things because they want it. They do it out of necessity. This is how they cycle it up, get people into prisons to work into these legal total enslavement factories. This is what we're up against guys. It's a never ending cycle of slavery. Once we realize that we've been shackled with invisible chains for decades in the name of freedom, in the name of safety and in the name of preexisting conditions or whatever you want to call it, they keep changing. Why? You'll realize that they were ramping it up right now in the past 10 years by opening up our borders. Opening them up to the sense that they've always been open, but they've been allowing them to enter now, catching them and releasing them. There was a guy that was arrested in Atlanta that had to go to court for his hearing because he was caught and released in in 2009. He was caught and released, right? 
He got caught raping a five-year-old child, had multiple victims, and was now arrested. It's 2019. So throughout, you know, 2009, 10 years, basically, where he was a no-show for court because how are they going to chase him down? They don't even know if that's his real name that he gave at the border, right? So he's been raping children. He had 33 victims in the end of it. And he's been staying in our country, didn't even go to the courts, and now ICE put a detainer on him, and you've got an army of Democratic lawyers saying you shouldn't deport him. Like, what? This guy has raped children. A five-year-old was his most recent victim, and you don't want to deport him? You're fighting for his rights? Like, this is what happens. Insanity. They're all insane. They want to keep us below some form of economic threshold and to congest our government system so it collapses. Why else would you remove 5.6 billion jobs but bring in millions of illegal migrants at the same time? Why are you bringing people in when there's no jobs for these people? The reason people come or migrate, that's the way it is, is because what? There's jobs, they can work, make money, buy a house, create a family. That's why people migrate. It's kind of like in the olden times, tribes used to move with the weather, right? So they'd be up north by the Nile, right? And then when it got really, really hot, too hot to plant because it would scorch the earth, they'd go more south to the Nile. Why? They would migrate south because that is where they would be able to grow more and flourish more in a more decent environment. And then when that went harsh, they'd move up north again. Kind of like that. Why would you come to the United States as an illegal immigrant when there are zero jobs? When we have, you know, over 13% of the population with no job. And those are the people that declare it because there's a lot of people that don't even declare unemployment. Because they may be 1099s or maybe they're just housewives and don't have to claim that they're unemployed. The bottom line is no jobs bringing in people. That is the recipe to create a collapse. And when you have a collapse, what do you have? Voluntarily forfeiting your rights, forfeiting your rights to your health, forfeiting your rights to everything and dependent completely on the government because the government will say we're in a crisis we don't have jobs so maybe we'll just give everyone a stipend maybe everyone can get a house and then suddenly you see communities that are states and states filled with people that are just ghettos that literally live off the government in 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 england when they uh began this whole government system living off the queen they call them council they're from the council, like from their area. And there's like sections of cities, like the New York projects, for example, like in Queens, there's like the projects, right? So th- this is how you segregate communities, the wealthy communities, the poor communities. This was the plan. The plan was to make you a slave. You already are one, but you still have the right to fight now and force labor is just that. They force you to work. They say, if you're not working enough, you can't get benefits, but I don't have a job, then do this for us. They force you into the situation where they can control every facet of your life, from your finances, to your health, to your family, to your shelter, to your access to even clean water. We saw that up in Michigan, where the mayor was so proud to suddenly take it from another source because it would cut a few dollars off of his budget. 
right? You remember when he did that switch and then the lead just went up, up, up. And all the doctors were saying it's the water and they shut them up. They said, stop, stop talking. Two years, these people were plagued with diseases. In the name of what? The government making choices for the people. The government making choices that are thrifty for them, but at the expense of the people. This is where it's going. The president has been saying it in a nice way. I thought if you understood what forced labor is and what slavery is, it would be easier. So he's been telling us these little facets throughout his time of talking about human trafficking, child slavery, trafficking, 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 drugs, 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 and how important it is to build the wall. The reason we need to build the wall, everyone says, is to keep the Mexicans out. When the economy globally collapses... Just like on cue, everyone will be fleeing to come to the United States because this is the only economy that will be thriving. We will have tons of jobs, but enough jobs for the people that are on our side of the wall, not for the others. And people will be running. And this is going to be a bad thing to view, to see people go through something like the Depression in the early 1900s when we switched from a gold-backed currency to the Federal Reserve. The reason we need this wall is to keep people now, not because they're all bad, but because we need to regulate it to make sure our economy doesn't collapse. Could you imagine if we switched over to the gold standard and globally the economy collapsed overnight, how many people will be coming through the border? We won't be able to stop them. They will be stomping through. So I guess the Democrats paying for these caravans and these invasions coming in is a good thing in one sense because we're understanding how to deal with mass infiltration, understanding how they move. So it's a good thing in that sense that we're understanding how they move, how they traffic them, how they fly in, which countries they're coming from, and the routes they take because that's what we target first. So in a way it's good because once we do... Get rid of this fiat currency. Like I said, you migrate where there's money. You migrate where there's hope for the future. And this will be the hope for the future because the United States owns the Federal Reserve. No, it doesn't. The Federal Reserve resides in the United States. It's a private company. Sorry, I misspoke. What I'm trying to say is it's here in the United States. And once we kill it, and that's the head of, of, of the snake, the snake of these fake monopoly monies that are regulating the economy where they could, with a click on a computer, inject more money and drive inflation and manipulate it because there's nothing tangible behind it. Once we cut that head off, the tail will be wagging across the globe, but we'll be fine because the economy is strong and the president made that clear from the day he took office up until today, as he's been tweeting. Now, after the break, I want us to talk about Mueller. I want us to talk about conspiracy, criminal conspiracies, and see where that's going. I'll see you all in a few.
town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in D.C., but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper, I grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to their neck. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So this hour, I want to talk about the Mueller report and what's going on. But before I do, I wanted to mention two things. Uh, one, Adam Schiff is encouraging people to vaccinate themselves. And um, I find this peculiar because I talked to you guys about how um, nations when they were undergoing a globalist regime change, were undergoing these um, vaccination regimes. And I want to give you a short form code of something called LMICs. That is what uh, the government calls low and middle income countries. Now, why do I say this? When you go and get a vaccine... Regardless of what it is, say you go get a tetanus shot, okay? Say you go get your flu vaccine. Say you go get your measles vaccine. They're all bar-coded, and they're all different batches of the vaccine sent to different areas. Now, they collect a lot of data, and if you read the fine print when you get it, and when you authorize the doctor to do so, you have to understand that statistics are being collected information about you are being collected and not with your name on it, but it would say Joe 24 unemployed on Medicaid. This is a vaccine number he got. He's going to get a different bottle of vaccine from a different place based on his demographics. I hope you're understanding this. So now the measles, which we all survived, are a huge panic in New York and now L.A. (laughs) Funny where they're at. They need to pull that experiment really, really quickly, right? Because what do we have a lot of in New York and L.A.? A lot of illegal migrants that don't know their rights because they don't really have rights because they're in our country. They only have human rights. And you would say... Don't the human rights play into your health? They would. But according to Obama with his laws, they don't. I just thought I'd bring that up and also mention that um, it was just announced that Joe Biden will be announcing his run for president, which is going to be done. When is it? Hold on. This is breaking. Um, he is announcing his presidential campaign on Thursday with an online video, apparently. 
So this is going to be interesting. You know what thought came to my mind? And I'm just going to go with my hunch. What if he had Hillary run as his VP? I'm just saying. How is Joe Biden going to run? How will he run? He's corrupt. He's part of the Obama regime. And I don't care what anyone says. Obama will be impeached. And that would include Joe Biden, who was his second in command, because nothing happens without Joe and Barry knowing what's going on. So how is he running? This is where I need to start digging, where we all need to start digging. Because if Obama knew everything, you better know that the vice president knows everything. So moving along, Mueller. I've already explained to you guys how um, Mueller had been surveilling the president of the United States since late 2012. How Cohen was approached, how they all followed under MOUs and tracked communications as much as they could, then dipping into the Section 702, 72-hour upstream holding of communications that they claim was an algorithm problem. It's a really weird algorithm when it captures only certain person's information and doesn't dump it. But anyway... I want you guys to know how this, um, how George Papadopoulos ties into all of this. So we all knew that the DNC server and Podesta's emails were taken by local persons, United States citizens, prior to George Papadopoulos even mentioning, whoa, I hear the Russians have, you know, a lot of dirt on him. That's what I hear. It was all rumors. That's what they did. They used hearsay as, oh, he knows he's working with the Russians. You go. And these were all people who were planted to say or um, encourage such speech. It's kind of like someone meeting up with me and I hear down the pipeline that some senator in Arizona is uh, looking um, to see a few years on criminal charges. So I heard that from someone. So let's pretend I'm traveling and I hear and I run into someone who's an asset for, you know, the Obama administration and we're just having drinks and talking. And this guy is a huge, you know, mover, shaker, you know, in my, you know, I don't know, in my sphere of work. And they're like, so what do you hear? I hear this. Yeah, I heard that, um, that senator from Arizona is going to be facing criminal charges. That's what I hear. I hear it's pretty damning. I mean, I haven't seen it myself, but I mean, I could probably try. Yeah, you should. I totally love to see it. Gossip. So that gossip turned out to be, Hey, he's gossiping about it. So Trump must be working on it. Let's get this dossier put together. Stick Papadopoulos is the excuse as to why we started to look at this dossier and let's move it along. That's how it happened. That's basically how it happened. So now we have a Mueller report that shows nothing, but apparently Ilhan Omar and a bunch of other people say, well, since the special counsel didn't find anything, we need to investigate to see if there are any impeachable crimes. And this is coming from the mouth of Omar, who her herself should be stripped of refugee status and shipped right back to Somalia immediately for her statements. Immediately. That hasn't happened yet. I know that Clayman filed a suit requesting that that be investigated, but that hasn't happened yet. 
So how do we get to where we need to be? You know, like I said, Congress will be throwing pony shows. They will be questioning people, Cohen, you know, they're going to bring him on and he's going to tell the truth. Is he going to tell the truth about 2012? Is he going to talk about that? Or is it just like the half truth? The truth that he's allowed to say, I mean, you're already in jail, dude. Why not just come up with it? Just be honest. Nope, nothing. So this is something that people need to be paying attention to. What they're not telling you, what they're not doing. That's what we need to be paying attention to. Because it's super important that we understand this, that we know what is really going on. I mean, our, uh, our Justice Department is busy, super busy, super, super busy, prosecuting things, doing things that are really, really, really important to keep us safe. Right? Tons of stuff. Well, where are they keeping us safe for the attacks on our president? Is it happening? Is it coming about? What's going on? It's a question. How are they protecting the president? Because the president is the representative of the whole United States. So how is the Justice Department protecting us? See, if my president, why does the president go you know, into like some panic room when there's an attack. Why is he flying on Air Force once? You've seen the movies. Why did they evacuate the president? Because the president is the leader of our nation. He is the most important person there is that represents every single American, that represents American interests. This is why he gets evacuated. This is why He is protected because if your leader is killed, if your leader is missing, if your leader goes, then your nation goes. You are in disarray. Your nation has fallen when they take your leader down, right? Isn't it like in troops, they take your commander out. It's all left up to the privates. They'll be taken out one by one because there's no leadership, right? So it's really important that we realize That our Justice Department is responsible for protecting our president. So from the minute he swore in, he was president. What have they done to protect him? Absolutely nothing. The Justice Department has done absolutely nothing. Yes, they're safeguarding his life because if they don't, there's 100 million Americans with guns right now. And a lot of military that would take control of our nation as opposed to allow the politicians to do it. So they know this. There will be a shunda. We will be under martial law and military control if anything happens to President Trump. And you cannot trust those that are in the military now to be on your side, corrupt Democrats. You can't. Because they're about America first. They took that oath under a president, some of them, under a president that wanted to do nothing else but destroy the nation that they're serving. And they know it. Down to the privates, they know it. So it it wouldn't work for them if they eradicated the president of the United States and took his life. Because they would all go to jail 
All people of Congress would go to jail. All people of the Senate would go to jail, military jail, until they figure out who gave the order and who did it. And, oh, let's just hope it wasn't a foreign, uh, you know, ally, in air quotes, ally, because they've also got their fingers on these big red buttons. So this is why they're protecting his life, but they're not protecting the president and what he stands for. Instead, it is the Justice Department and those in elected office that are smearing the president, that are breaking down the president as a persona, not as a person. They are assassinating his persona, his persona that reflects us. So what has the Justice Department done to safeguard our president? Absolutely nothing. Now, Barr did do something, which is what? There was no collusion. He's not a Russian agent, and there's no proof of obstruction. I mean, you can say anything is obstruction. Him saying, you're supposed to protect me, Jeff Sessions, is obstruction. No, it's the truth. There is the person of Donald J. Trump and the persona of President Donald J. Trump, right? And so the, they're, they're one in the same. You cannot safeguard his life, but not his persona. There's a saying in Greece, it's better that your eye comes out than your name. So smearing someone, defaming someone, slandering someone, targeting someone, labeling someone as something is worse than someone taking your eye out. Because it is so many people that go on it. I mean, I'm, I've been victim of this. How many of you have been victim? I mean, how many people are called right-wing extremists when they're not? How many people were called Russian agents or Russian bots? They will say anything to smear your persona. And the persona is what is important to be protected. So now we have a special counsel that from the minute they were installed knew that there was nothing there. Rod Rosenstein renewed the false FISA warrants. He knew the dossier was garbage. He knew everything. And yet he put a special counsel into place. Now, what is he getting out of this? He's going to be in a lot of trouble. He is in a lot of trouble, but who told him to do it? And this goes back to McCabe and Comey. And let's bring in the New York times. Remember I said, we're going to revisit it. Let's bring back the New York times. Look at all the attacks from the minute he swore in. People calling him crazy, unhinged, racist, sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic, constant attacks to his persona. They are literally attacking our country by doing this. I didn't like Obama after I voted for him. I was educated because I cast a ballot where I had no knowledge of because of where I was and what I was doing. I had no in-depth knowledge. It was only a couple months after I had cast my ballot when he signed that first executive order minutes after swearing in, like he swore in and he went straight to a desk and signed the executive order to seal any records relating to him or Michael Obama or anything. So he sealed the records and that was to me, what's going on? That is preposterous. That's where I realized I didn't, but I wasn't out there. I would never applaud that the media shame him for being a, you know, not legitimate for the office, I would be upset 
I would say this should be done behind closed doors because that minimizes the power of our nation. What the fake news media is doing and what the Congress is doing and what senators, both Democrat and Republican, are doing is causing harm to our nation, not just President, not Donald Trump, the man, but the persona of the president, which represents our nation. They are portraying our nation to be in a feud when it's not. This is something they could have done on a lower key, but they didn't. If they actually thought he was Russian, they would have had the special counsel done. They would have investigated it from before. We have to remember how Obama came out in 2016 and said the Russians cannot and have not penetrated our election. Yet there he was with a dossier signing off on it. I mean, all the signatures are there. Lynch, Comey. Clapper, his DIA, his DIA, his CIA, his Justice Department, his FBI, his, you know, um, Secretary of Defense, his State Department, and he didn't know. Come on, guys. This is all to floor our nation. It has nothing to do with anything else. They hate him so much that they hate the America he wants. They hate a free America. They hate a free people. That's basically it. The attacks the New York Times does, the attacks CNN does, are not on the man, Donald Trump. It's on our nation. If we don't see it like that, you don't get it. See, they can't take him out. They are trying because they are in contractual agreements and under global pressure. And we've just turned up the heat by labeling most of our allies level two considerance when you travel to them to take precautions, extra precautions, not, Hey, you're traveling. Make sure you're aware of your surroundings. It's, Hey, you're traveling. There's terrorism there. You better be careful. We're advising you that it's not a good idea to go there, but take extra, extra, extra precaution. These are our allies that are pressuring the people within our country to ensure that they break down the persona in our eyes and they can't do it. They have destroyed America's image to everyone but Americans, except for crazy ones, except for vicious ones. I mean, we have people claiming, well, the Mueller report didn't find anything, but I'm sure Congress will. (laughs) Okay, that's the way to go. You have a special prosecutor giving you the the most in-depth colonoscopy ever into your life, into your associates, into your friends, into your family. And they found nothing but Congress (laughs) led by Pelosi will find it? Or is this for real? This is how insane they are. They are trying to destroy the image. I mean, they use the racist part of the border, but the stats and the facts are not supporting it. We've got people on the Mexican side and on the U.S. side claiming, no, this is a crisis. We're having an invasion. These people aren't seeking help. These people are being paid. There's people advocating to bring them here. Uh, In their countries, they have offices that were funded by USAID. This is why the president cut off that aid in those three countries, which CNN so nicely said, oh, three countries in Mexico. And it's like so dumb. Anyway, um, they cut off the aid because they're funding them. But here's a new thing. This is how dumb they are. This is the people that they speak to. They're trying to convince people that the exodus that we see 
from all these um, persons in uh, in uh, Central America have nothing to do with um, them being paid to go up there, but more to do with the fact that there is a uh, global warming issue, that they're really, really hungry, and this is why we have to take them in. There's a video, believe it or not, by... Um, the weather channel that I want to play for you. I know it's a weather channel, but the, in democratic circles, this is being, uh, circulated as what is going on. This is, this is how it's being circulated. Hold on. Let me pull that clip because you need to hear it. They're saying that hunger is why because of climate change, hunger is forcing all these people to massively, uh, you know, a mass exodus from, uh, their country. And there's a correspondent from, um, the weather channel called uh, John Carlos who follows the immigrant caravan and finds story of drought, poverty, and resilience. Guys, this was from January. So now they're saying due to climate change, people are leaving. People are coming to America because of this. Uh, the video doesn't want to play with me. Let's see. Hold on. Let me see if I can get it this way. Okay. some tough people in those groups and i'll tell you what this country doesn't want them the caravan is an epic story of human migration and it's a phenomenon that stirs you got some bad people in those groups you got some tough people in those groups and i'll tell you what this country doesn't want them the caravan is an epic story of human migration and it's a phenomenon that stirs different reactions in different people they are being portrayed as criminals, which they are not. They are within their rights to come here and seek asylum. For me, the caravan raises a question related to a recent trip I made to Central America, to an area called the Dry Corridor, where I witnessed the impacts of a severe drought that's linked to climate change and has devastated agriculture. Ya no vas a this year, in just one dry corridor country, Honduras, 80% of the corn and bean crops were lost. The dry corridor of Central America is particularly vulnerable to this issue of climate change and its impact on food security. The food insecurity is so dire that 2 million people are now facing hunger. I also learned that the drought has been made worse by El Nino, the warm water off the coast south of Central America. We're currently in an El Nino year, and the future looks even scarier. Scientists believe El Ninos are becoming more frequent with a changing climate. Experts say what's known as the dry corridor in Guatemala has grown 25 to 30 percent in the last decade. So now, my caravan question is, have some of these migrants left their homes because of climate change, drought, and hunger? Okay, so um, I'm going to play a little bit more, but I just wanted you guys to hone in on now how they're pushing it. So at first it was, oh, there's socialism. Oh, there's crime. Oh, they're being prosecuted. 
and you know persecuted by governments there and this is why they say you can't seek asylum because you're hungry i'm sorry that's not the way it works but now they're trying to change the narrative for the leftists to say you know for those that are tree huggers that believe we're going to die in 12 years like ocasio-cortez i will tweet this video out uh during the break so you guys can see the pictures there is like miles and miles of congested road that has tens of thousands of people on it so they're going to tell us that all these people are coming because of climate change this is what is ridiculous the story changes why am I telling you this? Attacking again the persona of the president as a heartless man for people that are hungry. California is in a drought. Do you see tens of thousands of people migrating? There's so many countries across the globe in a drought. You don't, and this is not migration. The numbers are invasion. And to even claim this, this is the insanity from the Mueller report to every single facet of what our president is targeting to rebuild our nation, to maintain our sovereignty and to be independent from other nations. Things that even Toure tried to do in Guinea, right? Didn't he? But he's a little country that is poor. They are very rich in mineral resources, but lack the infrastructure to actually use it. So remember, Toure, when he took over and he kicked the French out, he said, no, we are going to fight. But guess what happens when you fight? No one wants to trade with you. So when you're in a period of drought, like Honduras, for example, or Guatemala, where they're showing you this drought thing, then comes trade. This is where other nations come in. I'm in the state of North Dakota. I can't grow grapes here. So what does my state do? It imports it from states that can grow grapes. Could you imagine if we had our walls up and we didn't go anywhere? We'd be getting all our avocados from here, all our beef from here, our pork, our chickens, our bananas, our grapes, right? Everything from here, which would then create a what? A, an immense amount of surplus. When you have surplus, get trade. You've got people that can't raise piggies. You sell them piggy. They give you something you don't have. Like, I don't know, mahi-mahi only comes from certain places. Anyway, we'll talk about this more after the break. Because these subtle cues of how they're attacking his persona are key to understand where this is really going. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978. 
855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with My Pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. Welcome back to the Tory Says Show, and um, I will play a little bit more for you this um video titled Exodus, The Hunger That Consumes You. Uh, But I'm sure and fully knowledgeable on this that asylum does not include hunger, does not include El Nino, and does not include climate change. Yet this is the new narrative coming through. And it's been announced in January, but now it's making a comeback. Take a listen. This caravan idea first sparked in October in Honduras, in the city of San Pedro Sula. People from all over the country rushed to join after hearing on TV, radio, Facebook, and WhatsApp that they would no longer have to rely on smugglers. A caravan was being organized, a relatively safe and virtually free way to get to the United States. Who's paying for it? Catching up with the caravan once they've already been on the road for a month, traveled almost a thousand miles, and are arriving in Mexico City. I find a lot of people who worked on farms and say that they fled because of the drought. Among the farm workers who joined the caravan in Honduras, was Pedro Castillo. Mm-hmm. 
perdón, pero con respeto le voy a preguntar eso, me parece que, que es una vida de un pobre. Así es. So he's sitting there explaining how the corn was like really small and he's saying that, you know, they used to plant things like rice, bean and corn so that way they could eat. But, you know, because of climate change, they can't do that. You know, lots of us survive with, a, a, you know, less than a dollar. You know, that's just so, excuse me, but in the summer, because we only have like two, three months of summer here in my state. I plant food in my garden. I plant potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, you name it. I plant it. And me and my husband are probably going to sit down and brainstorm to see what we're going to plant this year. And I'll tell you what, I save so much money by growing my own food. I mean, if I love tomatoes, my favorite thing to eat ever is a bunch of feta cheese with raw, great olive oil, bread and tomatoes, but a beef tomato, one beef tomato, like, or an heirloom tomato, uh, that I love, or these Roma type, not the ones they have at Walmart. They're so waxy and so tasteless, but the, the actual plum tomatoes, right. Are my favorite. But I'm going to be paying $3 for a tomato and I can hold a tomato in my hand and eat it in like a minute because I love them so much, but they're so expensive, right? Think about it. Because when I go to the supermarket and I just get vegetables, my bill is like 200 bucks just for vegetables and fruits. I mean, fruits are insanely priced. Vegetables are insanely priced. I save thousands of dollars in the summer um, when I grow my own stuff. Blueberry bush. That's what I'm thinking of actually putting. Um, but anyway, all of these things cost money. So what he's saying doesn't make sense because there's a lot of us that do the same thing. If I lived in Texas, darn, I would have a garden year round. I would be planting seasonal things all the time. I haven't bought a pumpkin. Well, I have, but like a real pumpkin for like um, Halloween or Thanksgiving in a while. I make my own pumpkins and they're cheaper. I don't have to pay 20 bucks for a pumpkin. I paid, you know, 98 cents for the seeds and I got my own. So what he's saying is something that all of us should be practicing, being thrifty and relying on ourselves rather than others um, to tell us what we're allowed to eat. Because if you have a budget of $100 and you go to the supermarket and suddenly bananas are, you know, $1.50 a pound, you're not going to eat a banana. You'll go for the cheaper priced fruit, right? So the economy is dictating what you can eat when you are able to do it yourself. So this guy is explaining how he's coming here because he doesn't have money, he can't plant things, and he's relying on the government. This is where you migrate to the other side of Honduras or the other side of Guatemala that doesn't have the drought strip, right? You don't migrate, you know, 3,000 miles north and come to America. And the key thing here was that people were paying a caravan and they didn't have to rely on coyotes. Well, the big coyotes are the Democrats, and they're the ones that were paying for it. But take a listen to how they're swinging this. La verdadera realidad de los hondureños, estamos asumidos a la pobreza y no porque, y no porque seamos araganes. A veces, eh, bueno, digamos que con la madre naturaleza no se puede hacer nada. Cuando viene la sequía no puedes hacer nada. Perhaps the one thing you can do is flee. 
So remember, there's only a strip of land. It's not all of Honduras. And the guy's like, well, we're not lazy. You just can't fight with Mother Nature. Well, why don't you just move to the other side of your country? It's as if, you know, what, what is going on? Like me, I've, I've said it. If I can, I will be migrating more south. Um, only because I want to be in control of more things. Obviously, I would never go to Arizona because they don't have water and they use recycled water. And a lot of people hate me for saying this, but I urge you to freeze some tap water and make ice cubes and you'll see little white pieces in it. People say, oh, that's calcification. It's actually toilet paper. Okay? So they use sewage and whatnot and they clean it out and then you're drinking it again. But anyway, I digress. What I'm trying to point out is they're trying to create the human struggle on many levels for us first world problems is i can't grow my own potatoes because i refuse to pay ten dollars for a pound of potatoes for them it's i need to plant stuff because we don't make a lot of money and the government doesn't provide these jobs and i can't so instead of moving to the other side of my country i'm going to move all the way to america uh, because that's that seems more reasonable and they'll give me asylum because of climate change that's what Fabiola Diaz and Carlos Salinas are doing. They and their kids are traveling together, even though they didn't know each other before. They're not a couple, but they seem like a family. Fabiola and her two-year-old son, Yeltsin, come from a Honduran town called Santa Barbara. This is not an invasion. This is a drop in the bucket of what comes to the border every month, every week. Atenas Barola is an attorney from North Carolina who's part of a group that's come to Mexico to advise the migrants on U.S. asylum law. I'm following the story of a young woman who is fleeing because of poverty and hunger. She's living on a meal a day. Does she qualify for asylum, if that's the only reason that she's fleeing? If that is the only reason that she's fleeing, unfortunately in the United States she is not going to qualify for asylum. So did you hear, they have people there, and on the video it shows a woman with a microphone educating them what to say to come to our country. And like she said... It doesn't qualify, but this is what they're doing. It's the persona of the president. I'm not going to play any more of that. It's the persona of the president. They want to show him as heartless, that these people are fleeing hunger. They're fleeing climate change. They can't work like that lady was saying, which by the way, did you guys catch on to it? She and her kids and then this dude and his kids. So they're like a family guarantee you. They were probably educated. Let's get you married in Mexico and all these kids are yours. Sounds like child traffickers to me, but anyway. So this chick is saying that she worked on farms and because there weren't any jobs for the farms because, you know, Honduras relies on um, farming for their economy uh, because of the climate that they have. Uh, they are big exporters. We get a lot of stuff through Walmart that says from Honduras, right, guys? So uh, ki Kiwis, too, believe it or not. So they farm. So in that strip, and it's only one part of it, one strip that has had the drought, you know, those people can't work there. So instead of going to Guatemala maybe to get a job, you know, the country right next to them, El Salvador, 
or the other side of Honduras, they decide they're coming to the United States because they can't make ends meet. That's not an excuse. That is not something happened. But it is a narrative that is being pushed. It is a narrative to harm the president's persona. So here's where you need to see what the president has been telling us about the news. They are all conspiring in attacking and causing harm to the persona of the president of the United States. That, in essence, is treason. Because you may not be assassinating the man himself, but you are assassinating his character, and his character represents the United States of America. This is treason. They are all together, synchronized, on attacking the persona of the president of the United States. Now, this is something very important. Every time I say the house is packed with clowns, it is attacking my government. Unfortunately, the, it is a circus. Unfortunately, it is working against our interests. And unfortunately, they are in power right now. We have Pelosi with the hammer, the gavel. That's all she wanted was that gavel. So we have to understand that this attack on our president's persona is treason. Not the man behind the persona. But they're together. They're one in the same. But to, for, for argument's sake, there's Donald Trump. They can't stand him because he's successful. Everybody already knows him. He's straightforward. He is very outspoken and firm on what he says. He's likable, so they have to make people hate him. But on the other hand, in order to make them hate him, they have to attack his persona. He's built the economy. He's brought back jobs. He's rebuilding our infrastructure. He's re-injecting cash into our military. Our military got a raise. You all know that, right? They are getting new equipment. They are hiring like crazy. He's finally formulating Space Force, which for many of you is like, "Mm, I don't know. Well, there's a lot you don't know. Remember this illusion of the necessity of secrecy, this illusion of secrecy that they give us. It is important that you understand that they give us this illusion for certain reasons. We've got 5G coming into play, and I need to do a show on just 5G for sure. But we have to see that they are the enemy of the people. The media, the insane Democrats, they are the enemy of the people. And we shouldn't really get in their way, but we should point out how they are causing harm to our nation with their actions. I mean, we have people like Rosie O'Donnell saying, ooh, we should start impeachment hearings right now, impeach him. Impeach him for what? For lowering unemployment? For creating jobs? For making America the center of all of the financial markets globally because we're running the show? Where? Where do you impeach him? Because you don't like him? Because you don't like the fact that he's given the power back to the people? It's, it's pretty incredible, right? It is incredible. It is something that I have never seen. You know, he's, he's targeting everything. 
You know, one thing that I've spoken about many, many times is how the FBI has been in cahoots with this FBI Face Services. It used to be called uh, LifeLog. Now it's Citizen Log, and it's working with Facebook. Facebook is part of the FBI. Well, apparently, um, you know, now the FTC. See, this is how you attack the deep state. It is the monitoring and the assessment of people that that is that's currency knowing your employees is currency right it's like running a company if you have a bunch of people that work for you on you know um in 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 a meatpacking plant right you need to know who's the fastest who's the smartest who's the best who can sort things out faster that is the ultimate currency When you're running a business, well, the United States is like a business and the currency is you and I. And so they are not only trying to sort out who should be promoted all of a sudden, who should be recruited all of a sudden. And this isn't something new. This has happened before because I've, I've mentioned it before. When I was a child, I was recruited right out of kindergarten, first grade, you know, from tests because back in the days they used to give us tests when we were little children. Uh, I took my first IQ test when I was in kindergarten and in the first grade, I would be going to high school for like math. They would like bus me over to a high school uh, to do math and then um, puzzles. I would play puzzles. So they recruit people because they identify things from things that are legal at the time to obtain information on you. This is how they guide your life without you knowing they're guiding it. In retrospect, I see how it was guided and how they had set forth a path of where I need to be, uh, to be more beneficial to my community because of X, Y, Z. Um, they do that. So anyway, Facebook is currently, um, under criminal investigation and it's in New York. And that's because they're going to be paying like this huge, almost trillions of dollars, by the FTC because of our privacy violations. And now it's not going to be the violations of them handing over information to law enforcement. Unfortunately, there were memorandums of understanding in place. And those are so many and so far apart that it would be difficult to, but they will hold them accountable for selling the data to private companies for recruitment reasons. You know, like if a company... I have to be careful how I say this. Um, So let's pretend you run a certain department and you want to hire. You go on ZipRecruiter, go on LinkedIn, you put out an advertisement, people respond. Well, that's not usually how it happens. Then you have headhunters too, right, that seek you out. How many of you get badgered by? I do all the time. Where they contact you, hey, so-and-so is looking, I've seen your resume, let's get together. I could tell you about this job. But what they do now is they are given a list by specified headhunters when they reach out, and those lists incorporate your social media data. So before you walk in the door, they've seen your drunk photos from so-and-so's wedding. 
They know where you've traveled to. They know if you have kids. They know if you've been to Ibiza. So, you know, they'll ask you, do you have any kids? And, you you know, as a woman, and I'm being dead honest, sometimes you're like, yeah, and if they're not of school age, you know, they, they think, oh, that's a problem. But they already know if they're going to school, if someone's looking out for them, what's going on. They already know. They're just going through the motions because since they've invited you, to apply, they already know this is the stuff that Facebook has given out. And when you get fired for no reason, you don't understand, Ken, you can look at your social media because they can't really use that against you, especially when it hasn't been shared or they'll source it kind of like I do. You know how I send emails and I'm like, Hey, I would like a copy of this memorandum of understanding. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have it. And it's like, Oh, are you sure? It's like this, this, this. Cause I kind of have it. Don't you? And they're like, Oh, that one. So they source it, uh, from other areas and then have you confirm. Uh, this is again, a way that our administration right now is trying to rectify the wrongs that have been happening for decades. Rectifying, okay? It's, it's, it's really hard for people to see past what the media is saying because unfortunately even the right, um, the conservative media, the pro-Trump media isn't telling you what you need to know. They're not telling you what you should be seeing. Like, why aren't they telling you, hey, it's pretty interesting that the FBI is hiring like crazy. They're advertising on Facebook. They're advertising on Twitter. I mean, not everybody sees the promotion. There's certain demographics. So if you're seeing it, they like you. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's really important that, that we get the right information so we understand and have a clear picture of what's going on. Uh, the president right now on a global front like he said, we're respected because it is, it hasn't happened in a very, very long time that a nation stands up and says, no, especially the nation that was selected to be the leader in this. Okay. Cause we were spearheading this whole operation. So you need to See, from a global stance, the president has rectified the attacks from the global media on a diplomacy side, on a foreign relations side, has not caused him harm. But on a, min on a miniature size, domestically, not globally, because globally people can say whatever they want about Trump. But the Europeans, the Australians, the Chinese, the Russians, the Africans, the Middle Easterners all know the only reason he's being attacked is because he's doing a great job. Whereas domestically, no president has been attacked like this president. And unfortunately, we're a very young country with 300 years under our belt, if that. So think about it. We've been conditioned to know no one talks like that about a president unless there's something wrong. Usually they're impeached when people start talking. Whereas in countries with long-standing history, they know that when some man comes into power and he refuses to abide by the globalist consent, by the socialist norms, that he is attacked. So think about it. The mainstream media globally attacks our president. Globally attacks him. But the people outside of the United States love him. They envy us. Yet domestically, the mainstream media attack the president, and domestically we have idiots 
that don't see past it, that don't see, well, what, wait a minute, this is horrible. How could you paint a picture of a president like that when the economy is so great, unemployment is down, he is fixing things, he is trying to protect us, he is reinforcing our military. Like, why would you attack him? You're making our country look bad, CNN. You're making us look really bad, New York Times. What are you doing? Nothing. The people of America are doing nothing instead of funding them. Now, obviously, I saw that CNN has ratings that are worse than mine. And I'm only on two hours a day, Monday through Friday, and they have worse ratings than mine, which means that the people are already answering. We don't want to hear it anymore. We're done. Yet they're still double downing. They're still somehow working. I want to know who's funding the New York Times, who is funding CNN. Uh, I think that we might find that CNN and the New York Times and the failing Washington Post, currently under litigation, of course, right, are probably getting foreign funding. It's important for us to realize that that there is possible foreign funding to this. How do we go forward? Well, this week has, is actually moving pretty quickly, even though it seems really slow. Even though it seems really slow, it's moving quickly. And that's because we have the criminal conspiracies coming down. We also have people like Lindsey Graham standing up and talking as if they are for the president. They are tweeting things out like, oh, you know, this, the, the Mueller report using it for impeachment, it, it can't happen. Uh, it would be an unhinged act of political retribution. Shut up, Graham. It was political retribution from day one. He says the Mueller report is vindication of President Trump, no collusion between Trump campaign and Russia, no underlying crime, no obstruction. The president and the administration overwhelmingly cooperated with the Mueller investigation. Time to move on. He is telling them what to do. Do you guys not see that? Using it would be political retribution. Why? Starting it was political retribution. Talking about it is political retribution. The media doing it is political retribution. But political retribution is not a crime. Ergo, they're still going to do it. So what's interesting is, is that, you know, he's pointing out that Pelosi, you know, Graham's saying Pelosi is not in charge of the Democrat Party. The radical left is in charge. We all know Ocasio-Cortez is in charge. He's saying that just to make her understand you're losing your authority, put these little clowns in place. Put Ilhan Omar in place. They're attracting more attention than you. So he he says that because the radical left is in charge, he expects impeachment proceedings against the president and the Mueller report, regardless in vindication. There is no vindication to what? There was no there there for him to be vindicated. This was politically motivated. This was political retribution. And it was in place to cover up crimes of the left, crimes of the Obama administration. And I dare you, Joe Biden, to run because you will be part of the criminal conspiracy. And those impeachment proceedings are not only going to apply to President 44, but it's going to be to his VP, too. Because the president doesn't do things with his VP not knowing what's going on. Thank you all for tuning in. 
tomorrow. We'll see you here same time, same place on Red State Talk Radio, 12 to 2 Eastern Time. Until then, God bless. See you all tomorrow. Thank you.